Hello, welcome to Token Truth, a podcast about finding the truth and goodness in the Lord of the Rings books by J.R. Tolkien. I'm your host, Caitlin Myler. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Token Truth. Just me today, but hey, I'm actually here. That's something. Um, today we are talking about chapter eight, Fog on the Barrow Downs. And uh, before we do that, we've got to talk about our Amazon update. There isn't one. It just seems really unstable. A little concerned about it still, but you already know that. But what I am actually a little excited about is the Wheel of Time series that Abe mentioned last episode. It actually looks like it might be good. I'm partial to Rosamund Pike, so how bad can it be? Also, I listened to like the first two books of the Wheel of Time book series. If you're into high fantasy, epic fantasy, then maybe check it out. It just, the women were written so terribly in that book, which is so sad because they're huge characters. Like, they're very important, but no one is a believable female in that story unless you've been left by your wife and that seems like the right kind of attitude you think a woman ought to have, which is too bad. I'm very sorry for you. Find someone nicer. Anyways, I'm really hoping that the TV series will kind of get rid of all of that distasteful stereotyping. I did want to give a quick update about our Write Out With Me challenges that we gave to you last episode. And one of the ones that I did was listen to some music that I haven't listened to since I was a teenager or in college. And um, it was really nice. It's almost been 10 years since I graduated from college, which makes me uh, feel like feel like a deep sigh, basically. And I listened to some classical music, which I haven't really done a ton of since graduating. And it was really wonderful. It was really nice to be able to still appreciate it and not have hard feelings about about any of the the, uh, pieces I listened to and about my education there, which was not great. If we ever meet and are hanging out on an airplane or something, I'll tell you the whole story. So we are going to talk about, like I said, chapter eight, Fog on the Barrow Downs. And by the way, if I sound a little less perky than usual, it's because I'm trying to keep it a little down in energy so I don't wake up my baby who's not super interested in sleeping lately. And um, if he does wake up, you will also hear about it, which will be, you know, fun. Let's call it fun. So here's our synopsis. They wake up the next morning and they leave Tom Bombadil's house. You'll remember they were staying there with the the Bombadils. Does Goldberry have the last name of Bombadil? These are questions that need to be answered, I think. So it's a bright and beautiful day. They're going along on their path. And then Frodo, shot to the heart, remembers that he forgot to say goodbye to Goldberry. Luckily for him, she remembers and shows up on the hill to say good- goodbye to them, specifically to Frodo. 
if you'll remember our last episode, we had the fan theory that maybe she and Frodo had a little something going on. Frodo definitely has a crush on Goldberry. Maybe it's reciprocated. Maybe that will be explored in the Amazon series. And man, that would be terrible. Um, anyways, they travel along, are in good spirits, and then they decide to take a break next to a huge standing stone, a la Stonehenge. If you've ever seen it or been there, you know those are big standing stones. That's kind of the environment they're in right now. They eat their lunch right next to this thing and accidentally fall asleep. <laughs> and of course, they wake up. And it's now very foggy and very cold, and the fog is super thick. So instead of staying next to the standing stone, they think they remember the vague direction generally of the road. Now, I'm just going to throw this in here for anybody who needs to hear it. Don't do that. When you are not sure exactly of where the road is, you can't see it, I would very strongly suggest you just wait it out until it's light outside. Oh man, Abe and I once went hiking when we were engaged. It was his birthday um, and we went hiking and we're having a great time and then realized, oh, it's getting kind of dark. We should head back down now. And of course, it was lighter on the top of the mountain than it was down below where it was forested. And pretty soon it was so dark, we couldn't really see the path. And we hadn't thought to bring flashlights. And this was really before either of us had nice phones. And so we couldn't really use our flashlights that well. And we got lost in the woods. It was a good experience for us to get to know each other. We had just gotten engaged and um, yeah, it was, it was an important bonding learning experience, but I still don't recommend it. Frodo decides he's going to get to know his fellow hobbits a little bit better by just soldiering on and they think they can still make it. So they decide to keep going in single file, although I don't know how they think that's going to help because they don't have like a rope attached to each other or anything. And the fog is super thick. Anyways, they got separated, of course. Frodo thinks he hears someone calling for him and then someone calling for help. He tries to go and search for them. He falls off of his pony. His pony runs away. He still tries to find someone else. And of course, doesn't find anyone, but ends up near a barrow and briefly meets one of the barrow whites before fainting. So think like, um, well, I mean, I think basically a zombie, not as gory as a zombie, but kind of like a zombie. He wakes to find himself laid out on the stone floor of the barrow. He thinks he's probably gonna die, but then thinks to himself, no, Frodo Baggins, that's not for you. So, of course, he is able to find courage and strength to fight against the really terrifying situation that he's in. He looks over and sees the others on the ground next to him. They look dead. They're pale and they're not appearing to be breathing. And they're basically prepared for burial, but with a sword across their necks. Okay, that is like 
the creepiest thing that Tolkien just casually throws out there. Just, yeah. Oh, and there was, there were rings on their fingers and they had little crowns on their heads. And oh yeah, there was a sword lying across their necks. (sighs) Anyways, Frodo hears an incantation and then sees an arm, which is apparently not attached to the rest of a body, um, creeping to the sword on the necks of his friends. Frodo, again, has to struggle with his courage and briefly considers putting on the ring and leaving his friends to die and saying, sorry, I couldn't save you, but decides to actually use his courage and he cuts the hand off the arm while he's got that little break of not being imminently attacked. He remembers the song that Tom taught them the night before for if they happened to get into trouble, which of course they did. Tom probably knew that. That's why he taught them the song, Sneaky Tom. Of course, he starts to sing and soon Tom shows up singing his own song that seems to break the barrel and kill the barrel white inside. He takes everybody out into the sunshine and then sings a song to wake up the other hobbits. They are wearing only the um, the clothes that the Barrow Whites dress them in, which is also really weird. But they don't want to wear those anymore because it's very creepy. So they're naked. They're running around, which just sounds, you guys know, sounds like my cup of tea. Running around naked on a hillside. What could be better? Tom very sensibly tells them, You've found yourselves again out of the deep water. Clothes are but little loss if you escape from drowning. And of course he's right. They are just very happy to be alive. And so Tom goes looking for their ponies. They turn up with Tom, and he apparently gave them new names that they forevermore respond to. The names are, in case you're looking for pet names, Sharp Ears, Wise Nose, Swish Tail, White Socks, and Bumpkin. I feel really bad for Bumpkin. It just seems like he got the short end of the stick, you know? I'm pretty sure Tom named him Bumpkin so that it would rhyme with Fatty Lumpkin, which is the name of Tom's own pony. Poor Bumpkin. Seriously, all of the other names are like just, you know, descriptions. And Bumpkin is the only one that's a character description. (laughs) Poor guy. Really. And if you don't know, a bumpkin is like someone who is really naive, isn't very sophisticated. So it's not necessarily a compliment either. Tom scatters the treasure from the barrow. Um, He says he does that to break the spell of the whites. And he says that you can, anybody who comes across it can just take it. And that's the only way that you can break the spell. And he chooses a brooch for Goldberry that apparently belonged to someone they used to know, you know, hundreds of years ago. Tom decides that it's better if he accompanies them to the end of the road or the start of the road, just so he doesn't have to go find them again, because they'll probably get into trouble, let's be honest. He's like, But listen, this is really the last time I'm going to help you because I got to go back home because Goldberry is waiting for me. So let's get a move on. So he uh, 
recommends that they go to the Prancing Pony Inn and the hobbits are suddenly worried and remember about meeting the Black Riders, but they decide they'd better hurry off to Bree. And that's where they end. So I was really struck while reading this about the seed of courage that is hidden in Frodo. And Tolkien writes, there is a seed of courage hidden, often deeply, it is true, in the heart of the fattest and most timid hobbit, waiting for some final and desperate danger to make it grow. Frodo was neither very fat nor very timid. Indeed, though he did not know it, Bilbo and Gandalf thought him the best hobbit in the Shire. And I really liked the idea of talking about courage, because I think we all wish we were a little bit more courageous. And I think we all think of courage as something like what Frodo did, this big, huge act. And I uh, was actually listening to a TED talk by TEDx talk by Cindy Solomon entitled How to Build Your Courage. And she gave the example of one time hiking with some friends on a vacation and uh, her friend in front of her stumbled and was about to fall off this cliff and she reached out grabbed him and basically threw him back behind her where the hiker behind her caught this guy and she said that if she had had a little bit more time to think about it she would have convinced herself that there was no way she could have saved her friend because he was much heavier than she was and also she says that she didn't have very much upper body strength and if she had thought about it would have told herself there's no way I'm going to be able to pull him back up onto the edge onto the trail safely but she did because of adrenaline and that's what we usually think of as courageous acts you know saving our friends from uh, an animated zombie arm uh, that's about to cut their throats that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty courageous. I'm not sure I would have done that. I think, honestly, I probably would have fainted again. But who knows, right? But the biggest thing about courage is that courage can happen every day and does. And there are ways that we can make courage a conscious choice. I also watched a video a TED Talk by Susan David called The Gift and Power of Emotional Courage. And I encourage you very highly to go watch that one. There are lots of great quotes in that that were really striking. And she talked about emotional rigidity versus emotional agility. So having the courage to recognize our emotions, she had done a survey of over 70,000 people and a third of those people either judged themselves for having bad emotions or tried to push them away. So bad emotions being defined as sadness or anger or disappointment and not wanting to acknowledge that. And I think in the last year or so, especially over pandemic, people have realized, yeah, you can't just say good vibes only and have it work out. That's not that's not going to work. You can't just say that everything is fine when you're feeling like you're falling apart. When you're grieving, you have to grieve. Or as Susan David said, you 
will not be able to sustain that. And it'll end up coming out in other ways. And we don't know how to handle our emotions. And we end up teaching that to our children, which is just so you know, one of my biggest fears in life. And now that I've had children and realized that that's one of my greatest fears, wish that I had waited a couple of years before I had them so I could maybe figure out how to label emotions on my own first. When we push emotions aside, they actually get stronger. Internal pain, she says, always comes out in various ways. And you've seen it. I've seen it. Somebody who just kind of explodes at something that we don't think warrants that kind of response. Maybe it's because maybe they are very upset by that thing. It also could be because they're very unable to handle this other emotion that they're dealing with. She talked about how when we push emotions aside, them actually getting stronger. She gave the great example of a chocolate cake in your fridge. And the longer you try to resist it and tell yourself you don't want that delicious looking chocolate cake, the, the more temptation you receive for it, right? I wish I didn't understand that exact metaphor so well, but I do. She says, people tell me that they want to not feel anything, that they don't want these feelings at all. And she said, you want dead people things. You are alive. Only dead people never feel things. They never feel joy. They never feel all the hard emotions. They also never feel any of the good emotions. She says, discomfort is the price of admission for a meaningful life. I told you, there are lots of good one-liners in this talk. I really liked what she said also Emotions are signposts for things we care about. So instead of being like, oh, I'm sad, get rid of it. Think only happy thoughts. She says, instead of doing that, when you feel an emotion, try and figure out what it is telling you. Don't say, I am angry or I am so frustrated. Say instead, I'm noticing that I'm feeling. And the point she says for that, for doing that is that you are not your emotions. You don't want the emotions to drive the bus, which yikes, it's hard. It's hard for me. I feel like I have emotions flash through pretty fast. Not all of them good, not all of them bad, which is another discussion. By the way, we don't need to label emotions as good or bad. They are as she says, emotional signposts for what's important to you. And that can be hard sometimes. It's going to take some work to really label it correctly because disappointment and failure, they're not, they're similar. You may be sad because of that, but they're not exactly the same thing. I feel like this is my takeaway message for every episode, but I highly recommend seeking out a therapist. Ding! That was my the ding from my cheesy smile, in case you were wondering. And the last quote I want to give from Susan David is, she says, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear walking, which is like Brene Brown. I think she says, feel the fear and do it anyways. And I've heard people say that various ways. Do, do it scared, like do it even though you're worried about it. You want to be able to have the courage to notice what you're even feeling. And then I think that dovetails into the How to Build Your Courage, the Cindy Solomon talk that I referenced just a bit ago, is that courage shows up in lots 
of little ways. She said that she ended up being a consultant for a lot of companies. And the number one, well, not the number one, but the thing she kept hearing was people saying, I wish I had the courage to say my idea in this meeting or give this feedback or show them my idea. It can be as small as raising your hand in a meeting. So getting past the fear to make those decisions requires a lot of courage. She also did some studies with, I think she said over 400 people that she surveyed and only a third of those people believed that they were courageous. And she makes the point that we all have the capacity and the capability to be able to be courageous. It's not an inherited trait. It's not something that you can only get if you're a fireman or something like that. You are able to do it in your everyday life. We just kill those dreams that we have, those uh, desires that we have, not necessarily a dream, by the voices in our head. And Brene Brown calls those our inner critics, right? Those voices that say, that's a stupid idea. No one is ever going to listen to you about that. I definitely, (laughs) I definitely struggle with that. I had been wanting to do this podcast for forever and was like, no one's going to want to listen to me until I realized, I think this is important. I felt the fear, which was telling me that this was important to me, which is why I was nervous about sharing it with other people because it is important to me. And I loved what she said that if you're not scared by the situation, you're not paying attention, which is so true. Lots of people think that if you're courageous, you're not afraid. Again, you're just doing it anyway. But if you're not scared, you're not paying attention to the situation because most people are probably scared by that. And she says, after you did something courageous, go back to that point and kind of remind yourself of how you felt. And something that I still do, which I don't know how courageous it actually is, um, was giving birth. So my last child that I had, his name is Bren. He's adorable, but he came super fast. And I was not able to have uh, an epidural like I had planned. And I was so scared because I had never, I've never given birth to any of my previous three children without some sort of pain medication. And that was terrifying. And I mean, of course, I'm going to have the baby anyways. It's not like I can keep him in there or something, but I was really worried and I had to really dig deep to make sure that I could keep pushing because as you might know maybe you need to know more pregnant people or women who have had children it's really it can be really exhausting to have a child and so I felt amazing after birth of course having a baby there are lots of hormones going on there so that helped a lot but I still use that feeling today I'll be exercising and I'll be like, I don't know if I can or want to do this. And then I remind myself, Caitlin frickin' Myler, you pushed a baby out of your body and you felt the whole dang thing. You can do three more burpees or whatever it is because you want to be strong. And that works. (laughs) It's amazing. Remembering that I could do something courageous has been really helpful. It can also be contagious. If you are someone who does something brave or is courageous, that first person out there on the dance floor or the person to raise their hand in a classroom when a teacher makes a racist comment or a sexist comment, 
and says, I'm not okay with that. You are able to brew that courageous feeling in the rest of your comrades, whoever else is there. It can be a really good tool. It's very useful in being an ally for whatever community you are uh, passionate about. So she gives three tips for learning how to be more courageous. She says, one, recognize the opportunity. Your heart's beating fast, probably a sign that this is important to you. We talked last time about crucial conversations and those are great skills for feeling a little bit more calm about being courageous. You can practice those skills without actually being in that situation, but you also, step two, need to get comfortable feeling discomfort. And I'm afraid in all of I've ever read, there seems to be no good way of getting comfortable feeling discomfort or understanding that you're going to feel comfort discomfort without just feeling this discomfort. I'm really sorry. That's bad news, but it's part of the process. And Number three, think what's the best thing that could happen. Instead of thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. This is, everyone's going to laugh at me or whatever. Think, what is the best scenario here? And hope for that because usually, I don't know if you've noticed this, the worst scenario doesn't usually happen. It's crazy like that. But it really reminds me of, again, what Susan David said, life's beauty is inseparable from its fragility. Things that are fragile are not always comfortable, but they're what make us alive. The last thing I was thinking of was boundaries, which went along for me with courage being contagious. Those examples of maybe hearing someone tell a racist or sexist joke, that's the examples I'm coming up with because those are the things that I'm kind of concerned about right now. It's important to set boundaries in conversations to say, you know what, that I can tell what you're doing, that you're just trying to maybe make people laugh. I understand that, that joke, inappropriate. And you might get pushback on those sorts of things. And that's okay. That's to be expected, especially if the person feels embarrassed about it. They might not react super well to being told, possibly in front of a group of people, that they're wrong. So you have to be able to listen to your emotions and figure out why you're feeling those things. So your in-laws maybe want you over every other night to have dinner and to play with their grandkids or whatever the situation is and you are feeling really stressed out every time you get ready to go over there. Listen to your feelings, listening to your emotions and having the courage to approach your parents-in-law, your um, partner maybe first and say, I really need less time with you. And it's just for my own space, my own needs. I heard this really great um, explanation from the podcast Bad Broadcast and which, man, it's a really great podcast. If you haven't ever listened to it, she's hilarious. Um, but the latest one about parents-in-law, she talks about boundaries actually being a way that we are trying to preserve relationships and not cut them out because then it makes the relationship sustainable because you're acknowledging the emotion and you're able to include them in your life in a way that is better for you. I really like the Mark Groves quote, walls keep everybody out, boundaries teach people where the door is. And you sometimes feel 
um, icky about making boundaries. I know I have a hard time with it because I just want everyone to like me and to be the person that will do whatever they need them to do, but it's not sustainable. It just isn't. And having those conversations, those honest conversations is a great way to teach your children and the other people around you to be a better support for other people around you because when you're stretched thin emotionally like we said before and those things kind of bottle up it doesn't work it does not ever turn out well so those are my three right out with me challenges for this episode first i think that we can all do better at labeling our emotions or saying i'm noticing that i'm feeling so even if you don't feel like you have a good handle on what that emotion actually is when you feel it don't say i am angry say i'm noticing i'm feeling angry about this thing kind of distance yourself away from it a little bit which will also help you calm down then recognizing those those emotions understanding that you're going to feel a lot of discomfort while you're recognizing those emotions and then asking yourself what's the best thing that could happen and then for the last challenge i want you to think about those situations where you recognize that opportunity to label or or understand your emotions a little bit better so that you can use them to understand yourself and your needs a bit better. And then you can tell yourself, this is what I need for me to address this feeling that I'm having, this emotion that I'm having. I clearly need to set some boundaries for this thing. And I hope that we can all understand ourselves a little bit better and be a little bit better people and hope that you have a great week. And as always, if you want to leave a comment on the platform that you're listening to or give a review and a rating for this podcast, that would be super awesome. And if you want to give me more suggestions about things you'd like to talk about in these episodes, you can email me at tokentruth at gmail.com. And I hope you have a really spectacular week and I'll talk to you next time.